This ADN Politics Podcast is brought to you by Steam.Coffee, where we source, roast, and present the finest coffees possible. From the Anchorage Daily News, this is ADN Politics, a podcast navigating Alaska's changing and sometimes wild political landscape. I'm your host, Elizabeth Harbaugh. A recent cold snap in south-central Alaska raised the profile of a looming problem for the region, an energy crisis. Natural gas from Cook Inlet powers a big chunk of Alaska, including Anchorage, the Kenai Peninsula, and the Matsu. But energy companies say that gas won't be available for much longer. How is that possible in a state that has massive gas reserves? And what does that mean for energy bills in the future? Anchorage Daily News reporter Alex DeMarban has been covering this issue and is here to answer these and other burning questions. Alex, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Let's lay a little bit of groundwork. Today, where do we get our power from here in Anchorage and in the surrounding region? And how do we keep the lights on and the heat running? Uh, Well, we get the vast majority of our power from natural gas uh, right in Cook Inlet. And we have for decades. It used to be the major oil and gas producing area in the state until the North Slope was discovered in the 1960s and a lot of oil and gas companies went up there to look. The natural gas provides more than 80% of the power for our lights, and it provides all of our heat to warm our buildings and our homes across South Central Alaska, from Homer all the way up to the Matanuska, Susitna Borough, so a massive region of the most populated area of the state. Last week, as you all remember, it got really, really cold. So cold that the Anchorage mayor, Dave Bronson, had the head of our natural gas utility talk to the public about our energy supply and consumption. What was actually going on there? Well, a whole lot of things were going on there. There was the big picture backdrop of what the state is facing of a natural gas shortage uh, potentially in the years to come with questions about whether there will be enough gas from Cook Inlet to meet the demand for gas um, as early as maybe 2026 or 2027. And uh, with that backdrop, there was, of course, the deepest, coldest spell we've had in many years. um, And that was creating a strain on our uh, gas supplies. So, Uh, We also had Matanuska Electric Association have a power outage. Uh, This was due to a mechanical malfunction. It was not due to uh, the cold or a gas shortage, but it came at a critical time during this cold snap, and about 20,000 people lost power there from Anchorage to the Susitna Valley. Um, And then at the same time, we had Instar, the natural gas company, expressing concerns that this huge storage reservoir in Cook Inlet that its parent company owns uh, was having a couple of struggling wells. Two out of five wells were struggling, and not enough gas was being produced or being provided from the reservoir. And that reservoir is important because gas is stored there and can help supplement the huge demand for gas in the winter. Uh, So we had a lot of things going on. So this was a chance for the utilities and the mayor to get together and to say, hey, we do have real concerns. If something else happens, it could be bad. Maybe there would be brownouts or blackouts, um, just temporary losses of power. But that's only if something else bad happens. But uh, we've also got this under control. This is not a crisis. Um, And by the way, maybe you just might want to, as a precaution, Alaskans, uh, turn down uh, your 
power and heat just for the time being. It saves you money anyway. So <laughs> it was a good chance to put out a message of conservation, but also to let people know that things are being taken care of and hopefully things won't get worse. But what about in the longer term? You mentioned that there is a longer term challenge. And before the cold snap, you talked to the head of NSTAR about his view on Cook Inlet's future gas supply. Where does he think we're at? Yeah, that was a real interesting conversation that I recently had with the president of NSTAR, John Sims, who wanted to sit down and essentially issue a warning and talk about his concerns that uh, this long-term gap in gas from Cook Inlet and demand for gas in the region, that that gap could come earlier than many people anticipate. Analysts have put the year at 2027 when that gap could begin to be a problem. Uh, but John Sims wanted to talk about 2026 as a the year when we might begin to have that issue. He said he's also especially worried about 2027 or 2028. And one of his big concerns was how we're going to be able to clear permitting hurdles from the uh, state and federal regulatory agencies uh, in order to import uh, liquefied natural gas that we can use to replace the declining cook inlet gas, assuming that we need to replace that cook inlet gas in the years to come. And we'll come back to the LNG issues, but I, I want to ask a bigger picture question first. Are we really running out of natural gas in Cook Inlet? Uh, we're certainly running out of available uh, natural gas in Cook Inlet. Producers uh, and uh, state and federal regulators say there's a lot more gas in Cook Inlet to be discovered, but we are certainly running low of what's available. And what I mean by available is that there's supposedly vast amounts of gas waiting to be discovered, but what producers have on hand that they can go access from Cook Inlet is what I mean by available. Um, what's not available is gas that's still in Cook Inlet in huge amounts, but still has to be uh, discovered and developed for production. When did this issue first come to light and how did they figure it out? So Hillcorp, which is the major gas producer in Cook Inlet by far, it went to the utilities in 2022 and it said, uh, hey, utilities, uh, there could be an issue. We do not currently uh, see how we can provide gas to you once your gas supply contracts run out in the years to come. Uh, so that's like 2028 for the major utilities and electric utilities in South Central Alaska. And that's like 2033 for NSTAR. So it was Hillcore going to those utilities and saying, we don't know if we have that gas available for you beyond those years to renew these long-term gas supply contracts. But we will keep looking and we might just find something. We'll keep spending money. But hey, just as a warning, and it was a very unusual warning, we just may not have gas, you know, beyond 2033 to fulfill any future contracts. 2033 is pretty soon. Uh, so why aren't companies like Kilcorp going out there and aggressively trying to find and produce more natural gas at a Cook Inlet? Well, the Cook Inlet is a depleting reservoir. It's uh, been producing 
gas for decades, and steadily so. So that's one issue. Another big question is economics. It's uh, do these companies like Hillcorp want to invest huge sums of money to explore and develop fields when the payoff would be quite small? This is a very small market in South Central Alaska to be spending huge sums of money on to find new gas. And then there's not even a lot of companies interested in Cook Inlet to do this kind of work. So I mentioned uh, Hillcorp is the major gas provider. They're really the the only major uh, oil and gas company um, in Cook Inlet. There's some smaller ones, but of course, access to finances for them uh, would be more limited. So there's not a lot of companies. The economics are very challenging and the gas is likely becoming harder to find given that it's such an aging basin. So assuming it doesn't pencil out to pull more gas out of Cook Inlet in the way energy companies predict, how much longer is the status quo likely to stay in place? Are we like years away or is this more like decades? Well, the like I said earlier, the analysts put 2027 as the year for the potential shortage between Cook Inlet gas supply and Cook Inlet demand beginning to arise. It would start slowly and build from there. I mean, that affects the entire region. It's not just, say, the Chugach Electric area. But that could happen in 2027. But then you have people like John Sims of NSTAR saying, hey, you know, what if we have some more cold winters like uh, we just had in January, some more cold months. Maybe it uh, comes sooner than we expect. What if we have other problems? Uh, And the Regulatory Commission of Alaska also uh, seems to be uh, having those same concerns as well. How likely is it for people in Anchorage in that case, to deal with things like energy restrictions or brownouts in the coming years? It seems like that potential for brownouts is going to increase, in my view, just given that the uh, reliability of gas from our, you know, basin in our neighborhood is going to drop most likely. So we'll be getting gas imported, so just a more unreliable source of gas. And we'll also be getting likely more power from renewable sources like wind and solar, which can be finicky and sometimes hard for utilities to incorporate uh, into their systems when there are, say, big surges. So that could also increase the likelihood for, say, a brownout and some rationing of power, hopefully just for short periods, hopefully not in the deep winter like we just had. Right. Hopefully not. All right. Well, let's take a break there. And when we're back, we'll talk about what solutions officials are looking into. At Steam.Coffee, we're proud to support great journalism and we're proud of our pursuit of great coffee. We search the world for the finest raw materials and then roast them to perfection at our Anchorage headquarters. All with one thing in mind, the finest coffee possible in your cup. Come visit us at either of our Anchorage cafes or online at steamdot.com. We are back with ADN Politics talking about South Central Alaska's looming energy crisis with reporter Alex DeMarbin. So, Alex, why aren't officials looking at bringing more energy online from renewable sources like hydro or wind or solar? What's keeping them from standing up a bunch of new projects to deal with this gap? Uh, Well, actually, they are looking pretty aggressively at uh, a number of renewable projects for Chugach Electric Association here in Anchorage, for example. They're looking uh, hard at uh, a wind project and a solar project. And interestingly, these projects could provide power that reduces about 20% of the natural gas that is being used. So that's 
sounds pretty exciting up front, 20% wow, from just a couple of huge projects. At the same time, then you kind of can quickly realize there's a lot more gap to close. Chugach Electric already has about 20% of its power from hydro and also uh, from wind. But that leaves, if you get 20% from these new projects, that leaves about 60%. So there's a heck of a long way to go there. Some of the things that are keeping the projects from being stood up, there's a lot of studies that need to happen on the ground, say, to make sure that the available wind is going to happen. And then there's permitting issues that need to happen. So those are some of the things that can delay these projects. Uh, and then the Regulatory Commission of Alaska, for example, has expressed concerns like, hey, these projects don't come online as quickly as people think they're going to come online. So we, uh, as the state agency that regulates utilities, we have concerns about whether these renewable projects are going to come online quickly enough to help close the gap in gas supply and demand. Couldn't another potential solution be up in the Arctic, on the North Slope? There is a ton of gas up there. And Alaska leaders have been talking about building a gas line for years. Why won't that solve our problem? There's a couple of major projects uh, to bring gas down from the North Slope. Um, Let's just look at the first major one. Um, It's been uh, pursued by state leaders and energy companies for about as long as I've been alive, which is half a century. And these uh, entities have never been able to raise the vast amounts of funding that are going to be needed to make this happen. Uh, the Alaska LNG project is roughly a $40 billion project. It has uh, this huge problem, which is that it would require an 800-mile-long pipeline to bring the gas down from the North Slope to Nikiski so it can be turned into liquid and shipped overseas in tankers. So it has these vast expenses that a lot of other LNG projects around the world don't face. Uh, There's a lot of other LNG projects coming online. They're getting investment. They're moving ahead. Our Alaska LNG project just has never had the final investment from companies in order to get a project done. So just looking historically, it seems like that project is never going to happen. We do have another project uh, that's been kicked around for decades. Uh, This would bring gas down through a smaller line from the North Slope, largely or exclusively for use in Alaska. But that's also a $10 billion project. It's often called the Bullet Line, and that also requires huge sums up front. The state just doesn't have a lot of money sitting around to pay for it. It could use the Alaska Permanent Fund, but that probably would not be very uh, politically palatable for a lot of people. So that seems unlikely. Uh, so those are the the cost and the lack of outside investment uh, are the major impediments to these two projects. And it sounds like if we're worried about timing with those renewable projects, that would also be a challenge here. Definitely, there would be uh, these are these are long term projects. Uh, the Alaska LNG does have its uh, federal permits, uh, but even with that, there would still be a lot of work to be done and a lot of decisions to be made. And even with that, it still hasn't won investments to make it happen. So, what are the solutions that utilities are looking at most closely? Uh, well, analysts for the utilities that are studying this uh, long term gas gap issue. They are expected to soon recommend that importing LNG is the clear near-term solution. So utilities are likely going to need to figure out how to import gas from another country and uh, bring it into Alaska. 
if utility companies have to start importing LNG to meet our energy demand, how much more expensive is that going to be for us ratepayers? So far, the uh, extra cost on that is being pegged at about 50% more than the cost of gas today. So that's a significant sum that will boost power bills, will boost uh, heat bills. So the average heating bill with NSTAR is about $1,600 a year. Uh, so just imagine that going up by $800 to $2,400 a year. That's going to be a substantial jump. And that's just the heating bill. And that's at the 50% increase that's being looked at, it could potentially be more than that. So we're talking about uh, Alaskans paying more to solve this problem. Yeah, that is a serious price jump. Uh, Where are our government officials here? Are the governor, the legislature proposing any solutions? Well, the state recently came up with an idea that they would offer uh, royalty-free gas in Cook Inlet for new leases. That means that a oil or gas producer wouldn't have to pay the 12.5% royalty payment to the state. It wouldn't have that cost at all, um, and the state... Uh, put that out there in a recent lease sale at the end of the year, um, and there were barely any takers on that. So there wasn't a lot of interest in Cook Inlet gas leasing just based on that incentive. The governor um, has recently proposed a bill that's before the legislature now that would reduce royalties down from about 12.5% to 5% for gas that's produced from new pools of oil under existing leases. So there's real questions about whether that's going to work because um, producers would still have to pay the huge sums up front in order to explore for gas and to develop new fields. So the question is whether getting savings on the back end by not having to pay the state so much, uh, is that really going to incentivize a company enough when tax credits could provide money up front uh, that might help uh, incentivize a company more quickly to find gas? For people who have lived in south-central Alaska a while, there's might be a little bit of deja vu here. Weren't we worried about running out of cooking natural gas about a decade ago? And if we were, what's different now? Uh, we were worried about running out of gas around 2009, 2010. It was somewhat of a similar situation where there was the recognition that the aging reservoir at Cook Inlet didn't have enough available gas as, you know, to make leaders feel comfortable. So at that time, however, the state had a whole lot of money. We had a very high tax regime for bringing in revenues from oil production. Uh, So we had huge savings as a state. So the state was able to offer uh, tax credits to producers. And we spent, I think, about $1.5 billion in Cook Inlet supporting companies as they looked for more gas and more gas was found. And so that resolved the issue. And the questions went silent until about 2022 when Hillcorp let utilities know that there may be a shortage in the years to come. Based on what you're learning now, what do you think our energy profile looks like in 10 or 20 years? In two decades, do you think things are going to be pretty different? It's really hard to know exactly what's going to happen, of course, but I think it's safe to say based on current trends and what's happening now, I think we'll have more renewable power being produced. 
you know, certainly more solar, probably more wind, um, and it could be significant amounts more. So that's good for the environment. We could have, uh, because of that, we'll have less gas demand. So that's also good. I think that we'll be having to import liquefied natural gas. So I think that the prices are, you know, not necessarily going to be cheaper. I would expect them to be higher, perhaps a lot higher for things like power, uh, and of course, for heat, and then seems like the uh, era of relatively affordable gas from Cook Inlet could be over, but perhaps uh, Hill Corp has a new pool that will it will be able to produce from, or, or some of these smaller producers will be able to produce from under the royalty reduced provisions that the governor has proposed, and will likely pass the legislature. So maybe we'll have a resolution there. Maybe we'll still have gas from Cook Inlet. But that, from everything you've said, that seems somewhat unlikely. Yeah, so it seems like uh, there's a good chance that, you know, gas as we know it from Cook Inlet, that that won't ever be the same. Um, And we'll be able to rely on gas from Cook Inlet less than we used to. So what's next? Are there any big decisions coming up that could affect how this will play out? Uh, It seems like the utilities uh, are going to have to either get together or on their own come up with solutions for how they're going to be bringing in gas, most likely, from other countries and do that as quickly as possible. Perhaps they'll uh, rely on Marathon, uh, which is looking at converting its Kenai LNG export plant into a plant that can accept imports of liquid gas, or maybe they'll come up with other ways uh, to work with companies to have gas delivered to Alaska. But those are, I think, the next big steps that uh, will need to happen is to have some certainty from the utilities on how they're going to make this work. Is there anything that I, the average person or energy consumer, can be doing about this issue? Should we all be installing solar panels on our houses, for example? I'm personally looking at uh, if I can install solar panels on my house, so it's going to be expensive up front. So I don't know if we're actually going to do that. But the thing with that is that's really not going to help the system overall. It's not going to be a huge reduction if a lot of people do that. It's not going to be a huge reduction in gas demand, but it will help those individual ratepayers uh, with their electric bills. People can also get educated on this issue, get involved with what's happening at the legislature, at the regulatory and utility levels to help make a difference by maybe calling for like renewable portfolio standards that call on utilities to have a certain amount of uh, renewable energy uh, within a period of time. Maybe they can support tax credits uh, for companies that provide renewable power. And then, of course, individuals can also just look at turning down their energy usage. They can maybe turn down uh, the heat one or two degrees, and that can make a huge difference. Maybe just make sure uh, lights are turned off when they're not in use, and that can maybe help stretch this uh, gas gap out uh, farther out into the future. Got it. Well, Alex, thank you so much for joining us and for talking through all the complexities here. We appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to ADN Politics. You can subscribe to the show in whichever podcast app you're listening to right now. You can keep up with the rest of our coverage on ADN.com. And you can subscribe to ADN there, which is the best way to support our work, including this show. Thanks to our guest today, Daily News reporter Alex DeMarbin. This episode was produced by Evan Phillips and Zachariah Hughes. Evan Phillips also makes our music. David Hewlin is our editor. And I'm your host, Elizabeth Harbaugh. See you next time.